0: Welcome to Your Brand Amplified, the podcast where we interview marketers, publicists, and brands to learn their stories, what makes them tick, and tips and tricks that make a difference. Welcome to Your Brand Amplified. I am your host, Annika Jackson, and I'm here with Kelly Kennedy. Kelly, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so this is a topic that is so important, and that we do not really think about when we become entrepreneurs, right? What are the things that you should really think about before you jump into entrepreneurship? <laughs> so I'd love for you to share your journey into entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd say I'm fairly early in it, so I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes. I probably make a mistake every single day. So a bit of a background and kind of what led me here. I'm a CPA by trade. I worked in oil and gas in Calgary for about ten years. But when I started in oil and gas, I realized I'm like, do I I really want to do this, but I was kind of handcuffed in that I was graduated with a ton of student debt. Hmm. I finished an MBA and I think I had 120,000 in student loans. So I had that responsibility to pay off those student loans. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take three to four years, put every bit of extra cash on paying off those student loans. But I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. That is accounting and oil and gas going forward. So I'm like, well, how do I get my foot wet and kind of test potential side hustles that might turn into main hustles while I have my core career? So I started to look at certain things that I can do to, you know, build that experience and not, you know, make a massive leap from a job where I'm getting paid reasonably well to a job that might fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a few things that I looked at initially was doing marketing on the side. Now everybody thinks they can be a marketer and I know you know that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <does>. <laughs> and so when I was looking at marketing, I didn't want to do broad marketing or like full marketing services. I just wanted to do one thing and that's just Google ads, Facebook ads, hmm. lead generation. And this was five years ago, six years Years ago, when Google ads and Facebook ads were much, much cheaper. So I focused on dental clinics and chiropractic clinics, and I got a couple of retainers. So I did that on the side while I had my normal job and, you know, it paid reasonably well, but not enough where it would justify quitting my job. So I took about two years. I'm like, you know, what else could I do in addition to that that would add additional income that would make sense? So I looked for businesses to buy that would offer marketing services that, you know, maybe I don't have a ton of experience in that I could hire somebody else to manage. so I found a job or a company for sale two years ago in June of 2021, the deal closed and it was a blog writing company. So I went from being an accountant to owning a blog writing company. (laughs) But there's a risk there. The risk is that I go to that company and it fails. I just gave up a great job and I went to school for a million years to get. So I hired two people to manage the company for me. So I kept on as an accountant. I had two people manage the company for me. And I learned a very important lesson that was very expensive early on, is that if you're managing a business on the side of your desk and you're hiring people to manage it, Mm they are only going to manage it or own it to the level that you are. Mm -hmm. So my business basically plateaued. It didn't tank, it plateaued. And so I had to make a decision. Do I jump from my accounting job to it full-time or do I sell it? So I talked to my wife, which is an important consideration when you're becoming an entrepreneur. And she's like, you know, I would support that, but you need to have something else on the side that just in case if that fails. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll teach. I teach accounting and finance at a local college here part-time just to make sure that I have cash coming in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've been doing this full-time now marketing or the blog marketing company that I have blogworks for about 12 months and yeah it's been good ever since but man I'm learning lessons so many lessons that are painful and sometimes you just need to take a step back and realize that this is normal you know be kind to yourself and you know, what can you learn from this to, and move forward? I mean, yeah.
0: Wonderful. Well, kudos to you, first of all, for taking the leap to entrepreneurship. You will never stop making mistakes and learning lessons along the way. I think that's something I've realized is I just make different mistakes because I learned from the old ones. <laughs> sure. But the fact that you are a CPA, you have this finance background, that immediately mitigates one major mistake so many of us make when we're starting our businesses, right? Yeah. I don't have a financial background. So you You have that. And I think that's an important tool in your toolbox.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely helped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because you're not making the mistakes of hiring too quickly or not thinking, I need to have X amount of money in the bank to pay for the taxes and the fees and the employees and XYZ.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I look at my cash flow every single day, probably more times than I need to, just to make sure I have enough cash coming in. But yeah, you're right. It's been definitely a useful thing. One thing that's been interesting, a bit of a pivot our company has made is that we used to write for clients in almost every industry. And one thing I've learned is that when you're spread out too much, you're a master of none. So we say more niche in Canada, but I think you would probably say niche. So I needed to niche down a bit more. I actually say niche. so <laughs> <laughs> and so we've actually been focusing more on finance clients now okay instead of doing a, you know, every single industry we're doing accounting finance venture capital private equity and we're finding that's a bit more lucrative and you know another lesson I've learned is that if your clients have more money they seem to be much easier to deal with yes
0: this is true it's a hard reality but I think you're bringing up two important things I love the fact that you came from the world of finance and you realized that that is your niche for the content writing yeah and I think that also probably gives gives a lot of trust to your clients because they know that you really understand this in and out. You didn't just pick it out of the thin air and decide, oh, this is what we're going to write about.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of my advantage. I can get in front of these people easier. Just saying, hey, I'm a CPA, I can write this for you. Hey, you're looking for a writer. I bet you the other writers don't have a CPA. So I focus on that. Does that make me a better writer? Not necessarily, but I probably do know the finance and the accounting side. A
0: bit yeah, it decreases the time lag because a lot of times when you're writing for clients, you have to do so much research if you don't know the industry, right?
1: Absolutely. And then you're paying team
0: members more money. And
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even if you do the research, because I've written on topics I'm not that comfortable with, you know, you're always kind of paranoid. Did I get that? Right. So you're spinning your tires and doing more research to make sure you got it down. Right. And yeah, absolutely. Right.
0: Hmm. So I want to ask the question, has AI changed the way that you work? (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> so, when ChatGPT came out, my wife panicked. She's like, Do we need to get out of this? And, you know, for a second, I had a panic moment as well. And I follow Neil Patel. Do you follow him at all? Yeah. Um, quite a bit. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I just name dropped Neil Patel. But he's <laughs> got a lot of good thoughts on this. And my initial thought when my wife was concerned was that you know, is this an existential threat for our company? Potentially, absolutely. But there's a lot of threats out there. Is AI kind of overblown? Likely it is. At this point, is it going to change our world eventually? 100%. it's an existential threat for us, but it's also an existential threat for search engine optimization, in particular, Google. So if Google has an existential threat, Google's going to solve that, meaning that Google's going to find a way in the algorithm to identify content that's written by AI. Um, they're probably going to have an AI to do that. So they're going to know content that's written by real humans and identify that real high value content. We've tried using AI to see what it would produce, ChatGPT, there's a few others, and it just doesn't give you that level of depth that you need. Um, you read it and you're like, hey, that actually sounds great. But then you look back it's like, What did it actually tell me? Mm. So my wife kind of backed off a little bit, but it is something Attica, that I am watching because it is one of those things like, will it get to a place where it replaces human writers? And I think there is going to be a bunch of writing that it does, but more of the high value writing, I don't think it's going to, at least not in the medium term.
0: Yeah. Thank you for that. Because on the PR side as well, i am seeing AI tools come to the marketplace that are saying, we can write responses to journalists for you. But I've also heard a lot of discussion on the fact that it takes the personal touch out of it. So the AI can write a certain way right now, facts, figures, you can even ask the AI to give you all the reference materials, but it doesn't have the human element that we need to make that emotional connection with what we're reading. Absolutely. So until it does that, I think we're safe.
1: relatively safe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the mistakes that you think you made or life lessons that you learned in your journey that you would like to share with us today that you think that other people need to think about as they're moving into entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah, totally. The first one is if you've got a wife or if you've got kids or like very significant responsibilities, you need to understand what the impacts might happen or what the impacts are going to be to them and that they're on side. If you don't have the support of your partner, you know, you're not going to get through those days that seem just awful. So that's one. Two, you need to make sure, you know, and this is the accountant in me coming out that mm-hmm. if things don't go well, what is your exit plan? Do you have something to fall back on? You don't want to sell the farm. I'm a rural kid, but you never want to put your farm up for sale. <laughs> They always want to have that foundation. Another big one, and you know, as an accountant, and I'll admit this, and it's kind of embarrassing, is that sometimes you can get blinded by shiny objects. Oh, yeah. and sometimes you can make hasty decisions. And I can tell you, I overpaid potentially a material amount for my company that, you know, I was just that excited and I probably could have got it for cheaper. Am I still happy I made the decision? Absolutely. But I did get a bit of shiny object syndrome. So I probably could have saved a fair bit of money upfront from that. And it's an important one. You got to be kind to yourself. You're not going to get it right. I went to school for seven years to be an accountant to have a master's in business, I make so many business mistakes. And, you know, I had to kind of like check my ego a little bit. Uh, you know, you're going to make these mistakes. And to your point earlier on, Anika, like, you know, these are kind of the low level mistakes I'm making now, but eventually, you know, I'm going to have different kind of mistakes I'm going to make because I'm up-leveling. I'm increasing my game. I'm earning more revenue. And so mistakes are never going to go away. It's just how do you handle those mistakes? Are you actually learning from them? Or are you building processes and systems to, you know, mitigate those in the future and to grow your business? And another big thing is check your emotions. Never send a hasty email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, being a painfully Canadian and an accountant, I usually don't do that. But I have (laughs) situations where you do send an email that it's completely not helpful. You should never share. Like if you're thinking about sending an email with emotion, just go for a walk, come Mm -hmm. back. You know, if you're thinking you're having a bad day now, sending an acid email like that might you know make it much much worse.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Those are really great actionable tips. I think a couple of things that I really noted in what you just said was even if you have degrees in something, the practical experience doesn't always translate perfectly to what you learned in the classroom.
1: Absolutely, Or in
0: hypothetical situations, right? When you're doing case studies and things like that for your degree. And then something that you said earlier about how clients who pay more money often are easier to deal with. And I think this is such an issue for us because there's that push pull of you realizing your value on one hand and charging what you're worth, but also wanting to make sure that you can service businesses that perhaps wouldn't be able to get serviced. So Absolutely. you know, yeah. I think that's that's a constant struggle of okay, I need to charge this much, but I want to help these people out. But they're often the ones who then they cancel their contracts early because something else came up, you know, they can't figure things out. They're expecting to get on the cover of fortune or forbes <laughs> immediately when they don't haven't even built up their story and their infrastructure for my side. And then for content marketing. I don't know how that translates, but you know, if you say you're delivering X amount of blog posts and things like that for somebody, and you're still serving ads as well and doing that work.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's one of those things where you want to be nice and you want to service these people. And you always have those calls where you're really excited to work with a new client, but you have that gut feel. It's like, I don't know how this is going to really turn out. And I've been listening to that gut feel a lot more, you know, 12 months into the business because that gut feel, you know, is validated later on when stuff happens to your point where they cancel a contract really early or something happens where they don't have the revenue to pay you. Like you seem to be the first thing that gets cut. So you have to, you know, I wouldn't say stop being so nice, but you need to think of your yourself and your position first mm-hmm. before doing that. I had a client, I kid you not. So for blog articles, we repurpose old content for them and we'll optimize it for SEO and all that stuff and we'll mm-hmm. publish it for them. And so we had one client where we did that, a really high value piece of content that he had that had a good analytics. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to explain one month why the blog article had 11 less views, I kid you not, than the previous month. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you say to that? So, it's one of those things. It's like every client's going to be, you know, demanding or kind of unique in their own way. But as a rule, companies that have more money typically are easier to deal with.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, you mentioned your family. How has changing to owning your own business impacted your personal life?
1: Yeah, from a social perspective, you know, a lot of my social network was within the company that I worked for. Like it was a larger company. Like we would always go out, say for food or for drinks after work. And you know, you hang out on weekends and stuff like that. Now I'm the odd guy out now that I have my own company. I'm kind of risking or I'm not getting the same level of income as my peer group. So there is that piece, which has been interesting. And they're always like, Kelly, what are you doing? Like you went to school to be an accountant, like get back to accounting, like accounts typically in the space I was in, it was like, eventually you want to be you know in the C-suite as a CFO or whatever. And And that's what all my colleagues are aiming for now. So now it's kind of like I'm not as relatable to them. And it's Mm -hmm. difficult. Have the same level of conversations. That being said, my network is more broad now and I can relate to other people like yourself that mm-hmm. we're, we're hustlers. We're trying yeah. to, you know, build these businesses. When it comes to just lifestyle, one thing you need to recognize is that depending on where you get into entrepreneurship, you're probably gonna have to moderate your lifestyle because you probably had lifestyle creep when your income increases, when you were in a career and you jump into entrepreneurship. So you can't take the same level of vacations and you know you can't do certain things that maybe you did before. And that has kind of knock-on effects with you know your relationship with your wife, your family family members and all that kind of stuff. And so we've had to scale back our vacations and all that, which actually hasn't been hard due to COVID. I had that excuse that just too expensive. I think that's primarily it. And this is a good thing, actually, and you might have experienced this is that, you know, your family cares about you. And I find my family's kind of concerned if I'm going to fail. So they're always asking very polite questions. It's like, Kelly, how's the business going? Do you need help? I'm like, I'm almost 40. Like, I don't. I really appreciate this. (laughs) We're probably doing better than you think. But yeah, it's interesting. People that care about you probably don't fully understand what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And I think for myself, I know that seeing family members be entrepreneurs, I didn't really understand you guys know, like, oh, failed business, failed business. I didn't realize that as an entrepreneur, it's not really failed. I mean, again, it's lessons that you're learning along the way to sure. get to the next phase of entrepreneurship. So your perspective shifts when you're actually sitting
1: in those shoes. Agreed. But from the outside, it looks like you failed. Right. (laughs) And then if you tell somebody from the outside what you just said, which is 100% correct, they're like, uh, it seems like you've got a revisionist way of explaining the history here. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I think it's something that's just innate right? You have this drive to be an entrepreneur, whether you realized it or not. I mean, you went through this whole journey, you've paid a lot of money to go to school, but you are finding those skills useful. If you had to go back or if, if something changed, what would be something that would motivate you to give up on entrepreneurship and just go back to being an accountant and maybe have that income and that lifestyle, but not be as like emotionally and mentally satisfied?
1: That's a great question. I've actually haven't quite thought about it. You know, I think I'm so fully invested in seeing this company succeed that I haven't thought about you know what would bring me back to my old career. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I do have it to fall back on, and I probably subconsciously have that, which makes me a bit more confident, which is good. But if I ever say lost the company and I got sued, (laughs) which I don't think I would, uh, let's say I got hit financially very hard, obviously, like practically speaking, I would have to go back. But I did make the leap from an educated perspective. And I kind of knew how much runway I would have. So I can't see a situation that would bring me back to the old role again, unless I needed the cash, because even if this company fails, and there's a chance most businesses do fail overall, I would probably look at another opportunity or grab into something else and then work forward. That being said, Annika, I would have to ensure my wife is on side. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very important. She's super supportive, but I get it. Like, it's just not my stress and my risk. It's our stress, our risk. And yeah, it impacts her as much as it does me.
0: Yeah. But I love that you have been bringing that up because it is important. I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we think it's just our journey alone, but it's not. It really does Mm -hmm. involve our entire families, whether it's a spouse, a partner, kids, whatever your family makeup looks like, right? Yeah. They are affected every day by this journey that we're taking them on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's something it's hard to, we need to always remind ourselves because when you're knee deep in it and something bad just happened, you know, it's just not you, you know, everybody's going to be affected from that. And, you know, your kids or your family members don't appreciate what you're going through. And-
0: yeah now one thing that you talked about was you decided to buy a business you think you might have like overpaid slightly for it and this is something i think a lot of people don't think about you don't just have to start your own business you can look for a business that's already been successful Mm -hmm. a lot of every day there are entrepreneurs for selling their businesses so what are some of the things that you would recommend somebody look at and what questions should they ask when they're looking at buying a business versus starting one from yeah, that's a
1: great question. I think just as a rule, looking at buying a business is just as good as starting one. Like buy a business that has proven systems and a track record to earn the revenue. In a way, you're buying a bit of security, even though you're putting a bunch of money up front. Now for me buying this company, I knew how much I could pull from it for my expenses each month instead of just starting a business that might be pre-revenue for 12 months. So there's a lot of advantages there, but you do pay for those advantages. So I've looked at a bunch of companies and got into due diligence with a few of them. And one thing I've learned, and this is proven. True for every single one is that the reason for selling is never truthful. So basically, you want to ask hey, if this business is so good, why are you selling? Like, that's the, the fundamental question. And you're always probably going to get an answer that isn't quite accurate or half the truth. And you need to understand what's going on behind the scenes. You know, Is there something where the current business owner thinks the company can't scale? Is there something on the books you should be concerned about that you might find in due diligence? There's got to be something behind it. And it can be difficult to find that thing out. Another thing that I would look at is hiring. And I didn't do this, but I think it'd be valuable for someone that doesn't have the business experience or background. Hire a consultant or somebody that is an expert in buying businesses or due diligence that kind of walk you through it. And at the very least, hire an accountant and a lawyer with due diligence. Very important. Basically, they might seem super expensive and the $450 an hour a lawyer might charge. can seem very off-putting, but it can save you a lot of money down the road. And an accountant will review all the financial information with you. It's not going to be cheap, but just because this company is saying they did X, Y, and Z on their financial statements, that doesn't mean it's true. So you need to really dig into it.
0: Wow. Yeah. Those are really important. And I think particularly having those people on your team, making sure that you have the right team and asking the right questions for them as well to make sure that they're really qualified to help you with your. Absolutely. Business. Yeah. yeah. I've made those mistakes of hiring people that I wanted to help because they were my friend and they had, you know, somewhat of a finance or HR background and then discovering that they didn't do what they told me they were doing. So yeah, it,
1: that happens yeah. so often. So, so often.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're so lucky that you are a CPA. And a business major. So what tell are you this.
1: Yeah. You might like this. And hopefully my friend's not watching or <laughs> listening. But so I'm an accountant. I could do all the accounting due diligence side of it. But I needed a lawyer to bring on to help paper the agreement and do all that kind of stuff, do all the searches and uh, hired a friend. And he was good, but he went back to school late. He was a fairly new lawyer. He was really green. And it mm-hmm. showed and especially showed when the two sides of lawyers were dealing with each other. So I shouldn't have. And this is a really important lesson I learned. One, don't hire family. Two, don't hire the closest people to you that just they're convenient to grab. Hey, Mm -hmm. you're a lawyer. That's cool. Let's work together. You know, get an expert. I should have paid twice as much and I would have got more than that value back. Great guy. I'm going to be the best man at his wedding. But at the same time, yeah, I shouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. (laughs) I think we could probably trade lots of stories like that. What are some last words of advice that you would give to somebody who's considering leaving their career to become an entrepreneur?
1: Two things. One is practical, the other one's kind of like philosophical. The first one practical is make sure you know the book ends of the risks, meaning if the worst black swan event happens, do you have enough runway to live? Because if you don't, that's going to impact every asset aspect of your life. And second, you know, and this might be somewhat cliche, but it resonates with me is that if you know you're 60, you're 65, and someone takes you back and you could have met the person that you could have been doing what you want to do, would you be happy? And so that really resonated with me is that I would be more happy at the end of life, and I shouldn't say 60, 65 to the end of life. But like, say, when <laughs> you're 80, knowing that I took those risks, even if it didn't work out, because you're always going to regret the risks that you didn't take, but make educated risks. Or, mm-hmm. or take educated decisions.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. That's a really great advice. And it's something everybody should think about. My last couple questions are, if somebody is in the finance, fintech startup world, and would like to look at your company to think about working with you, what's the best way for them to find you?
1: Yeah, totally. They go to our website. It's your blogworks dot com. They can find me on LinkedIn and yeah, happy to have a conversation with everybody or anybody. With that being said, after a year for a conversation, my gut feeling might tell me that even though you're a great person, we might not be a good fit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And then do you have a quote or a mantra or some words of wisdom that you live by? You
1: live the life that you want to live, not somebody else's. Yeah.
0: No, those are great words of wisdom. So Kelly, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening. I love the fact that you're sharing things that we don't really talk about on the podcast much. So That's we talk awesome. about when people are already entrepreneurs and business owners and all the different things they should use. But what about when you want to start that journey? What does that sure. look like? And how can you create that ideal life, but make sure that you ask the right questions and leap forward correctly?
1: So- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to provide value and thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So thank you to our audience for coming back for another episode of Your Brand Amplified. I will share. By the time this comes out, it'll be a lot higher. But today I found out we've reached over 200,000 downloads. So oh, really excited you, about girl. that milestone. And <laughs> so thank you all for listening and being part of that. And Kelly, thank you for being an amazing guest and being part of that as well. Thank you. Want more? Check out Amplifywithanica.com or follow me on socials at Amplify with Annika.